The Dot Connectors by Omnia Global. Welcome back everybody for another episode. And this one is with a member of the Omnia Global team. I had the pleasure of interviewing James Finley, who is Omnia's VP of Investment and Finance. And given my, I guess, basic level of knowledge of this world, I thought let's interview James and go into his background in investment banking and how that works, but also his current role and what he is doing uh, with the founders that Omnia Global partners with. What is the experience like for founders? He also gives us uh, his top three predictions for 2022 in relation to the global financial markets. It's definitely not one to be missed. So sit back, listen and enjoy. So James, welcome to your very own podcast episode. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm uh, out in Connecticut right now, just in the out in Greenwich, Connecticut, just in the outskirts of New York. And uh, it's getting a bit cold. But other than that, doing really well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you for it. Nobody ever asks me. I'm just here to, to make everyone else welcome. That's very kind of you. <laughs> I mean, talking on the cold scale, I have to say, if anyone ever says that to me, I'm like, really? Have, have you been in the UK at Christmas? But actually, given I, I've been to New York twice in December, and oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever experienced such cold weather so I'm guessing you've got all the thermals all the stuff out of the wardrobe have you it's got to be pretty chilly compared to the UK yeah yeah I mean it is a little bit colder I'm I'm double gunning the sweatshirts right now Um, (laughs) but you know what it's actually in New York is very cold but I spent uh, a week in Seoul South Korea in January and that is that is cold like there is is it that is cold there's nothing that compares to that in my opinion just yet it's like you freeze, you walk outside and you freeze, but uh, I'm not great with cold. Listen, for the purpose of our listeners, like people always you know, hear me asking and talking about the weather, but we actually have a fellow Brit on today. You Hopefully I'll convert his American accent back to, to British, but clearly he's still got that uh, desire to talk about the weather, which is oh so British. So I'm already <laughs> working my magic. But look, enough about the weather. Let's park that behind us. James, tell me um, a little bit more about your role with Omnia and what, what does a typical day look like for you? So I am the vice president or VP of investment and structured finance. And so what that really means is I serve as kind of a bridge between both the, the Omnia Global, which was the original traditional kind of investment company family office based out of Switzerland, and then our structured finance group, which is kind of an offshoot um, uh, bespoke tailored offering that we offer to both existing clients and and new uh, one-off clients. And I kind of work as an in-between between both of those companies. So um, the the capital markets team will come in with a deal potentially, and you know they'll have um, a need for debt there, and we will be able to tailor a kind of custom or bespoke debt offering out of our structured finance group. So it's kind of an additional value add to our existing uh, clients uh, awesome and, and and when you say clients you know you i'm guessing your kind of stakeholders are fairly vast and and therefore your the way that you present things you know it's 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 cutting through the the, the technical jargon it's got to make sense to, to, to everyone i mean who in a typical week who are you who are you speaking to in a, in a usual week 
Yeah. So it's, it's like you said, it's very diverse, right? And so we have mm -hmm. clients that are specific to just maybe the capital markets team or, or, you know, Omnia Global. And then we have clients that bridge both, right? That have maybe an equities mm -hmm. play or a go public play um, with Daniel and the, and the Omnia Global team. And then they'll have a need for debt to service that growth. Um, and we'll go through Vlad and our structured finance team uh, there, but it, it's, it's a wide range of characters. So some might be just specific to debt. Um, I might be talking to a you know startup wind technology company that's looking to massively scale and grow uh, in the morning because uh, being based in New York, I'm six hours behind, so my mornings are always really heavily packed with calls. And then in the afternoon, I'm typically chasing up what those calls kind of dictated, right? So maybe it's a change in our financial model. Maybe we need to to kind of tweak some of the go public plan, whether it's getting audits done sooner or getting them. You know, making sure that we're on top of our clients to, to follow the processes that we've put in place with them. Uh, it really is kind of a tale of two days. It's on the phone all day in the morning and then kind of stuck behind a computer doing doing the nitty gritty in the afternoon. Awesome. And, and I guess also, obviously, we've had a pre-chat, but, you know, those people can be located wherever in the world so from i mean tell us more you've kind of you've lived in a few places haven't you james but obviously that's that's an advantage if if you know you're working with omnia right because you know you you go and i don't want to advertise you'll literally go where you need to go but you you know tell us more about where you've lived in the world and who you've worked with yeah so i actually grew up in the uk as you kind of maybe told the listeners uh, ahead of time i <laughs> went uh i was in kent till i was about you know 13 14 and then moved to, to connecticut here um i did my master's in london at london school of economics and uh it, you know at the time i was a little bit more interested in law and kind of accounting and then uh in in taking that class i realized maybe that wasn't the right path for me uh it's it's too monotonous and maybe just a little bit too uh too cookie cutter at least the experiences i had within it um and so I went into debt capital markets working kind of within real estate um, with a, a global company um, based out of New York. And from there, kind of transitioned, and transitioned into investment banking, still with a specific real estate focus. I left with the same group. And so we went to a larger, you know, one of the three-letter banks that everybody knows about. And uh, and uh, and I worked there. And it was, you know, a vastly different experience than um, anywhere else I've worked. It's very intense. And um and and based in New York, you know, it's 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 kind of a rat race there, and everybody's chasing the same the same dream, and it's a lot of fun. But it's it's you know, it's also um, maybe not tailored to the individual; it's tailored mm -hmm. towards the group. Um, and so I uh, I kind of felt that burnout of you know I'm doing the same thing every day. I didn't want to be doing cookie cutter. I thought with the amount of deal flow you see in investment banking, that you would kind of feel that diversity through the deal flow, but. Um, you know, as I think maybe a lot of people will tell you, uh, if you're in a very specific group within investment banking, you're going to be doing very specific things. And uh, and that's that kind of became anonymous, too. And so in my search for kind of a more individual track, but still within the financial markets, I came across Daniel and Omnia and we kind of meshed. Um, so I moved out to Switzerland for two years and spent a couple of years at the office in Zoo, getting to know the Hansons better and getting to know the company and really figuring out how the company works and kind of where our place was going to be and, and shifting the, the company's focus. Um, you know, one of the things I'm really attracted to by Omnia and, and the work environment is the adaptability of everyone within it. Mm. Um, and so that was just something that really intrigued me. And so, you know, the opportunity to live in Switzerland doesn't come around all that, that often. And, 
I, uh, I jumped at it. And having lived in Europe prior, I kind of felt comfortable there. I have a dual, I'm a dual citizen. I have a passport. I had a lot of friends in the area, I had friends in Spain and in Holland and, and a lot in the UK and family too. So it, uh, it wasn't as daunting to move out there and it was a great decision. Um, and then since then, you know, what I would, one of the things that I would say, um, has kind of validated that, ex- that experience of picking a bespoke kind of company to work for as opposed to a larger, you know, uh, global force is the, uh, you know, with everything that happened in COVID and, and um, with the need for a workforce to become very remote and be able to work remotely, uh, Omnia has been kind of functioning at a high level under that program for about three years. And so I got a lot of experience without the the kind of hoopla of, of COVID, I got a lot of experience of how to work remotely um, within, you know, the right constructs. And uh, I think that really benefited Omnia and, and me personally as well when COVID did hit because we were very prepared and it was kind of just, I don't think we shifted so much. Um, we just yeah. stopped traveling so much. That's about it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with COVID, isn't it? I think even now I come across companies that are like, oh, so we don't need to worry about what, you know, it's called the digital, we've coined it the digital workplace. I mean, wouldn't say coined it, you know, it's pretty obvious what it is. And you think, are you bonkers? You know, actually, we probably, a lot of companies should have been in that place and space a long time ago, because actually what you get is people like you, you get a diverse workforce who, you know, go, they value that flexibility, that freedom, that ability to be themselves and then be wherever in the world they want to be. Because guess what? You know, our lives aren't centered around our jobs. We also want to travel. We also want to explore. We want to, you know, further our, ourselves, don't we? So, yeah, any businesses like Omnia who were there before they needed to be there, I think are going to thrive. Those that are like, right, get back to the office, sit in a row, presenteeism, all of that stuff, which I can see creeping in. Ah, oh, I feel like there might be a mass exodus at some point. Um but I wanted to talk to you a little bit more going back a step, um, investment banking. Now, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, there is lots of films. I'm not going to name some of the films, but there's that kind of, and it's always centered in New York, actually. Like when you talk about investment banking, they never show you the UK. I don't know if it's perhaps more salacious, uh, the world of investment banking in, the, in, in New York. <laughs> perhaps it is in the UK, it's just boring. Uh, probably not, actually. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, and it's females and males, but I think particularly young guys, they see investment banking as the dream. Based on your experiences, uh, you know, obviously you haven't named any names, but you know, what 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 what's your take? Is it is it the dream really? I mean, what's your your take on it all? Uh, I think it's subjective, obviously, right? Mm. Um, but I. I certainly thought it was the dream when I was making those those career choices, and um, mm-hmm. I certainly can see why so many people are are drawn to it. You know, there's it's a very lucrative career. You actually have a lot of you know feeling of of deal making capacity around you, so you feel what you're doing. It's tangible. Um, you're working with big numbers, which feeds egos, um, and so you know, on paper, it really is a a great career, but but you're not taking everything into account there. You're not taking work-life balance into account there. You're not mm. taking in individuality. These are things that you kind of are willingly sacrificing for the perks. And there are plenty of perks. Do not get me wrong. Um, I, I, and I enjoyed my time um, working in investment banking. And, I, and I, it certainly set me up for the career path that I'm on now and, and kind of moving forward. But I think that 
you're seeing this shift in investment banking even now, where you're seeing, you know, even a few years ago, you started seeing a lot of articles coming out about how, you know, the younger workers, the analysts, the associates were getting worked so hard that they were, um, they were becoming real toxic work environments. And, and you know, mm. how truth or drama, dramatized those things are, you, you really can't know. But where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And so to a certain extent, you can say that the, that it's a very hardworking industry and it's not made for everyone. Um, but I think, I think, you know, now this shift is happening where the younger, the younger generations and, and the younger workforce coming into new employment and coming into, you know, maybe their second or third job, they're, they're looking for a more tailored solution for them. I think everything mm-hmm. is becoming more individualized and everything is becoming more, uh, available to people. I think the pandemic just kind of accelerated some of, some of those changes because mm-hmm. now, you know, they, they, there's proven, uh, efficiencies and operational abilities working remotely. And I, I do agree that certain divisions or certain teams would need to be in an office together to work more closely. But mm-hmm. I think that, so that some eyes have been open and, and kind of some doors have been kind of left open for people to realize, you know, maybe I have a different career path ahead of me, or maybe uh, I'd rather live and work remotely than, than work in a major city or an office. And I, I don't really have yeah. to do that anymore. And so I think you're going to see a shift there of, of more people looking to, to their individual experience and tailoring their work experience to more of a, a work-life balance than I think we we had seen in maybe the early 2010s. Mm, yeah, it's sort of as like that sell your soul to the devil type situation. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and it, I mean, you may agree or disagree, um, but, you know, and then the devil can sometimes be fun, I guess. But um, I suspect and I, I'm seeing it, particularly with the younger generation, you know, um, where historically people would be at a company for probably at least two, maybe three years. They're like, it's totally cool to be there 18 months because it's just a stepping stone to what I want. And perhaps there's a little bit more I in the next generation than perhaps for people like yourself and myself and you slightly older. Um, But I think perhaps maybe investment banking will be a stepping stone career. It won't be seen as that long-term career where you've got to try and shoehorn your wife, your partner, your husband, your children, whatever into it. And they come second. It'll be like, I'm going to use the, that, part of my career to then allow me to do what you've done which is to step into a place and space where you've you've earned your spurs and you're coming into a place where you go I can do what I want to do how I want to do it to some extent but most of all I can be James you know I don't have to be James one of however many that's kind of got to conform that's got to stand in a line and quite literally look sound behave the same as everybody else you know which I think as you say COVID has kicked up so much and the biggest benefit of it, it's not all been negative is that that people go yeah I've sat with myself for however long we've had COVID in our lives for and I don't mind myself whereas I think when you're doing the kind of the the constant commute with work and you just get sucked into it you don't have time to reflect and as you say I think people are going yeah I want more of this and I want more of that and I'm not going to work for you if you expect me to just go back to what I was so it, it sounds for me like you've You've, you've gone through that process and you've come into to a better place. And, and, and speaking of individuality, I want to talk to you a bit more now about um, through, through the eyes of founders, I guess, and kind of the experience that founders get when they come through the door, the metaphorical door, uh, working with somebody like yourself, working with Daniel and so on on the wider Omnia team. 
And imagine I'm a founder. I've got this fabulous idea. Uh, I'm seeing lots of signs of success in the market and, and I want to scale. I want to grow. I don't know what I need to do. And I'm a little bit kind of, well, you know, the sort of the more corporate uh, world with lots of terminology centered around funding, you name it. Tell me, what's the experience for a founder like when they work with Omnia? So I'd say for, for the founder-driven businesses that Omnia invests in, we really look to invest almost as a partnership. So Omnia's sweet spot or Omnia's goal is to find um, a, a attractive company that is within you know, we're, we we are industry agnostic, but we we want to stay away from things that maybe hurt the environment or things that that aren't within Omnia's kind of ethos. But mm-hmm. but from a general perspective, we'll look at companies that are in a place where they're ready to grow. Maybe they need a short term injection, and so they're trying to do a fundraising round themselves. But what we've noticed is in those negotiations, when these founders are spending more and more time negotiating a smaller ticket investment into their into their company they're kind of shifting their focus away from what led them to the growth that got them into that position and so omnia is really looking to say to look for companies that are are investable but at the same time we can kind of partner with and so we'll take on their kind of greater fundraising roles whether that's preparing them to go public or preparing them for a potential uh, further investment from a larger or a larger fundraise, or doing a debt program for them through a structured finance group, or or arranging additional financing for them through a pipe or through something else. Uh, we really look to understand what are their goals uh, and how how invested do they want to be in that aspect of the business versus how invested do they want to be in running the business that they they've created. And we're looking to find the the, the guys that are saying. We, we really like what we're doing. We see this massive vision. We have this massive vision. We need funding for it. And we don't really know to go, how to go about both in terms of strategy, but also, you know, finding uh, and allocating capital injections. And so what we will typically do is we'll sit down with them. We'll understand what those financial goals are, what they're looking to do, and then also understand what their growth goals are and what their company profile looks like. So we can kind of tailor that experience to to what we know is going to be an end investor. So what we won't do is we won't go out and, and speak to investors and say, hey, what are you guys looking for? And then try to find something that fits in that realm. We try to take the opposite approach, which is we find companies we like that we mm-hmm. see the vision for, and then we identify different investment profiles that we can target investors for and prepare the company to be able to sit in front of those guys and both give an appropriate vision of where they want to go and also kind of a financial roadmap and a timing and have real detail behind it. Because um, a lot of the times when you're working with entrepreneurs, they have amazing ideas. None of it's written down. None of it's ready <laughs> to kind of be you know, in place and to run a process and have hard deadlines on when things are going to get done and following up on people. And so we kind of come in and we take over that role, which really allows the founders to just focus on running their business, because that's most important to us as an investor is mm. that they continue growing that business. We, it's a real partnership in that sense. Sounds great. And, and I, I through my head, as you were talking, I was thinking, I mean, you know, what by sort of looking at it in contrast to perhaps others comparable again, without naming names, but comparable businesses like Omnia, you know, it's, is that partnership common or, or is that sort of, 
quite different in terms of our approach and do you think the approach has its differences to to you know other other entities in the market who do something similar well i think as a general overview that's kind of a family office type Mm -hmm. uh construct right is is we're going to invest in you at this stage and then we're going to work with you to bring you to the next stage and then we're going to help find so as a general concept it's kind of a, a proven strategy i would say that Omnia's difference or kind of um, Omnia's sweet spot or niche is that we really tailor bespoke programs. So that could be from a debt perspective, we'll, we will actually go and arrange it. We'll write the, the notes and then we'll work with the placing agents to make sure it gets placed in the market. Um, we might work with investment banks to help bring SPAC profiles up to a potential SPAC target. There's a lot of SPAC market uh, activity at, from you know, 12 to 18 months ago, where there's capital sitting on the sidelines and, and there's uh, good deals to be had there if you have an attractive, uh, an attractive profile. So we might look to have that program specific. Um, but we will really tailor and be very specific with the company with their goals in mind and kind of um, our experience backing, backing our strategies. Yeah. And actually, it's um, I can draw quite a nice line between that tailoring, that sort of bespoke approach to then your own personal experiences of, you know, having your identity, being yourself, having that flexibility. And actually, I think whenever you come across, across a company that, you know, actually they're offering, you can draw that line back to the company ethos, the company values. It's just got so much more substance and credibility. And, and you go, actually they don't need the marketing, they don't need that, you know, because actually it all kind of stacks up. And, and it sounds fascinating. As as a, I put my hands up, I, I don't profess to be an expert, but actually the way you're presenting it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm getting it. So well, well done, James. You're, you're <laughs> educating the uneducated. I guess the final question I had, um, it's a fairly big one. So, you know, we're not going to hold you to it if you get it wrong. Um, but just given your knowledge, given, you know, what, what you get involved with and obviously what you're hearing on the ground, of course, you know, Intel as well as, you know, what is actually public in media. Um, could you give us any predictions? I mean, three, you know, three is a lucky number, but it could be one. <laughs> yeah, just, um, just three, three simple just predictions three. for 2022. <laughs> Just, okay. just pull them out of the sky. Three predictions for 2022 in relation to the global financial markets. Off you go, James. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think with, I'll say with with a with a, a look to the last 18 months and kind of how mm. crazy and unpredictable they've mm. been. Maybe I won't make predictions, but I'll I'll I'll. There's a few trends that I personally, and I think Omnia as a company, is also interested in seeing the developments in whether when it pertains to the global financial markets, right? And I think the first one that I, I think everyone on a, on a macro level is kind of interested in seeing is how the, the markets are going to react to the slowdown of COVID relief programs, right? So speci- mm-hmm. as a specific example here in the U.S., with the bond buying programs that the Fed has come out and said they're going to start slowing down, you're starting to see a shift from you know, pro-growth kind of sentiment to a more anti-inflation sentiment, mm-hmm. which is going to shape Fed policy and kind of bring back down, I think, some of this equity growth that we've seen over the last two years. I mean, I don't think anyone really predicted the level of growth we saw in 2020. And I think 2021 mm-hmm. has, has sustained growth. I think the S&P is up to 15% or something year to date. Don't quote me on that, but it's <laughs> somewhere in that realm. And and so you're, you're seeing this sustained growth and you're seeing equity levels at a, at a pretty high 
you know, in terms of valuations to performance, a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to start in 2022. I think one of the trends I'm 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 interested in seeing is how how the the equity markets and and kind of how in general global financial markets kind of taper down a little bit with regards to equities. You're going to start seeing a little, I, I think, a bit more sustainable level, and you're going to see valuations kind of come down to a more healthy level, maybe. Um, but you know that that also predicting against the growth right now is is a every mm. six months battle, right? Because every six months you could predict it's about to end. But um, I yeah. think that's one of the trends I'm interested in seeing. I think um, from a more specific to Omnia level, uh, the shift in tech or tech leaders from this short-term problem-fixing mindset I feel like we've been in for the last three to five years to a more long-term innovation value creative process. Um, I think that shift in tech is going to trickle down kind of, um, and you're going to see an influx of new tech and an influx of, of new companies coming in and being able to take over niche spots that will fill some of these massive innovation growths, right? It's, it's hard to, to envision if they're, if a company like Twitter or Facebook is doing a short term fix of some kind to kind of like patch over new features, that that's Mm. not really something you can dig your teeth in, but, when uh, Twitter is doing is getting heavily involved in cryptocurrencies with a wallet, mm-hmm. and I think they're accepting Bitcoin as payment now um, everywhere but New York and, and one other state. Um, the, kind of the influx of that uh, is going to lead to to more value creation on a smaller level, where companies can start. You know, the M and A activity in those areas will will pick up. I think um, Facebook or or Meta, I, I guess you call it now, is, is kind of you've seen that shift with them to. So I think yeah. you're seeing these top leaders in tech, um, it, it, and even if you want to consider Elon Elon Musk with with Tesla, I don't know if you'd throw that in tech, but it's it's valued like a tech stock. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're seeing these guys shift towards a more longer term focus. Even you know, even Amazon with Jeff Bezos and and the, this race to to the to Mars and this race to to space. I I think that longer term innovation is coming from these tech companies and it's less so about what their current offering profile is and more so what they're going to shift to. Um, and that, that leads to a lot of opportunities. So from, from our perspective at Omnia, that's a really interesting one to kind of look at. Um, and, and kind of leading into that is also blockchain and, and the kind of influence blockchain is, and that's a very kind of obvious one to pick yeah. out, but you know, you're seeing it, it grow and grow each year. The NFT explosion this year, I think, has been really interesting. I'm not 100% sold on digital art as a as as you know this massive market, but yeah. it, it's it's certainly made a foothold. And I think the application profile for NFTs or or non fungible tokens in general is massive. And I think. Mm as applications come online to kind of like, you know, whether for art, for instance, is, is there a way to, to improve provenance, which is obviously one of the, the more important aspects of, of the, you know, the art industry and buying and selling art is, is understanding the provenance and making sure everything is legit. Um, is there a realm where, where an NFT comes in and, and makes that kind of, you know, a far more tight experience or a far, a far more specific experience? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's possible. And so that's, again, another trend that I'm, I'm kind of, interested in seeing more of is how blockchain kind of opens up the general public to because uh, it well blockchain is it's talked about all the time and it's in the news all it's still a relatively um you know it's not it's it's not relatively global across the the entire country i mean i have friends 
who who are in finance that aren't fully engaged in it yet either and they're just starting to get into it and so really? it's kind of yeah with cryptos and, and with blockchain everyone's mm. kind of focused on their niche and and then mm. you know it expands out and i think we're going to see in 2022 a further expansion of that and um and just you know massive value creation throughout that process as well well, listeners, you heard it, heard it here first. I mean, if this comes true, you know, you need to you need to come credit James with these predictions. I, I hear on the NFT front, I will add in, um, I was working with uh, what is over a certain in the UK, an A-level student. And um, and I'd not really, I'd kind of heard a bit about NFTs, but wasn't totally au okay. And uh, I was helping her with one of her assignments and it was on NFTs and she presented to me and I was just... A, blown away that I had an A-level student teaching me something. Not that I know everything, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is like another level. But she was talking about um, that somebody had bought uh, first tweet. I can't forgive me, listeners, the uh, Twitter's founder, but his first tweet um, as an NFT. And and I can't remember the, the price that was paid for it, but it was just astronomical. And I was going to be, what oh, do yeah. you own? What, what is it? And then I got into another conversation with somebody about actually could NFT, uh, you know, in the art form, replace traditional art altogether? Like, is that just, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got legacy art, but actually in terms of what's hot, is this going to, like, override it? I, I mean, it... Well, you know, if you if you listen to Facebook and or Meta, sorry, everyone's going to kind of be living in their virtual world more than, than their real world. So maybe real art, you know, people can only see that if they come to your house and they look at it on your wall or they go to Freeport in Luxembourg mm-hmm. and see where you've stored it. But if you know, you have your digital art hanging up in your digital art gallery where anybody in, in the metaverse can go see it, that might be more valuable yeah. to some people in the future. So it'll be interesting wow. to see wow. how that develops. Yeah. Well, well, look, James, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today and um, I've really enjoyed understanding a your role, but also really getting a sense uh, from a founder perspective, not just an Omnia perspective of, of what that experience looks like so thank you very much for joining us today oh you're more than welcome i appreciate you guys having me on no worries and listeners thank you once again for tuning in and please remember to rate review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time